The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Today, we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, and we're going to finish off the Beatitudes. We spent the last two weeks uh, looking at the Beatitudes here, we're in a series through the Sermon on the Mount. We just started a couple weeks ago, for those of you who are visiting. But for the sake of context, I'd like to read through the entire, entirety of the Beatitudes in verses uh, 3 through 12. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as our culture shifts, uh, verses 10 through 12 uh, of this passage become increasingly heavy verses to preach. And ironically, on Monday, as I was beginning to study this passage, I was also uh, very curious to, to read the news about, uh, about a fellow pastor named Tim Stevens. And uh, Tim Stevens and I went to the same seminary, though I didn't uh, really know him all that well. He uh, was a few years behind me uh, at, at the seminary. Uh, but, but today, he pastors a church in, in Calgary, Alberta, and last Sunday afternoon, he was arrested for having church services uh, in his church, and uh, in violation uh, of the COVID restrictions that, that they have in place there in Alberta. And, and, I'm, you know, and the popular thing to do uh, when, when these things happen is for everyone to jump online and, and give their two cents about whether what he was doing was legitimate or not, and whether you know, he, he should, you know, the government's acting rightly or not, and, and people want to debate all these things. And and, you know, and I'm not in his community, I'm not in his church, so I don't know. I mean, it's not my place to uh, stand in judgment on the situation, what decisions were right, what were not. But I think we can say with, with pretty high certainty that, that we are 14 months into all the COVID restrictions. The numbers are plummeting everywhere, and, and, and as vaccines are distributed, and as cases fall, and especially as serious cases fall, I mean, the risk of, of serious illness is going through the floor, and, and what was amazing to me is, is, that, is that they were expected to abide by a 15-person max gathering in order to be in keeping with the law. And, uh, you know, at some point, the church has to assemble. If we are going to be committed to biblical priorities, and, and if we are going to be faithful to God's Word, the church has to meet. But, uh, so this church, you know, they're simply acting on their convictions before God. They didn't go around flaunting it. They didn't go around, you know, with signs trying to, you know, pick a fight with someone. They just did what they believed was right before the Lord. But their pastor was arrested. 
And what was maybe most startling to me is, as I was reading through different news articles, news outlets about the arrest, uh, that, that you had politicians and neighbors that were willing to go on record as celebrating this. You know, saying this is a good thing that has happened because of, of how horrible it is that, that this church is having services. And, uh, and so reading through those things, it was a stark reminder uh, that persecution is hitting closer and closer to home. And, and it made Jesus' words in this passage pop in an especially powerful way. So, so what do we do? As, as, as things that, that maybe for the most of our nation's history have seemed like, like a distant possibility, as those things become closer and closer to, to our reality, what do we do? You know, do we run for the hills? Do we, do we just bend to the culture to, to fit in and maintain some level of respectability? Or do we cling tighter to Jesus than we ever have before and give all of our energy, all of our passion to the mission that He has called us to do? And my prayer for us is, is that all of us would choose the latter, that we would be faithful to Christ at any cost. And this passage calls us to this, and so I want to begin by, by talking about, uh, first of all in this passage, the reason for persecution. So, so notice, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now before I get into the reasons, I, I do want to note that, that, that technically, verse 10 is the last beatitude. And, and I say that because the literary style of verses 11 and 12 is very different from the literary style of verses 3 through 10, all right? So, 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 verses, 11, so verses 11 and 12 are, are not a ninth beatitude. They're, they're really just an ex- expansion, an explanation of what is said in verse 10. So that being said, verse 10 is really a pretty stunning conclusion to the beatitudes. Because after all, most people would, would look at the first seven qualities that, that are mentioned in the text, and they would say those are good things. Those are respectable things. I mean, most people would respect mercy and meekness and humility and, and all those things, even if they want nothing of them for themselves. They would at least respect the person that is marked by these various things. But persecution? Well, that always comes with a lot of stigma. You know, and, and, and that was obvious in the articles I was reading uh, on Monday about Pastor Stevens. I mean, people were angry at him, angry at his church. And persecuted Christians throughout church history have always endured the same hostility. I mean, after all, the only way that, that you can justify treating harshly a Christians who are simply seeking to follow the will of God is to paint them as some sort of, of wicked people in a way that, that is not actually true. So in the world's eyes... The persecuted are shameful and despised. They're, they're looked down upon. But Jesus says surprisingly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. As we've said, that means that God looks at them with approval. His favor rests on them. He looks at them with love. But, but I must emphasize that, that Jesus doesn't bless any and all who are persecuted, right? No, instead... He blesses those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So so in verse 6, 
uh, Jesus already mentioned, uh, he already pronounces blessing on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we said last week that he loves those who pursue righteousness. But now he warns that righteousness often brings the world's hatred. Now that's not because of the righteous go out looking for persecution, right? And the goal is never just to make people angry. But I think John MacArthur nails it when he says that righteousness is confrontational. And even when it is not preached in so many words, it confronts wickedness by its very contrast. And that's so true. No matter how gracious and kind you may be, no matter how loving you may be, that if you are someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, you are serious about conforming your life to the nature of Christ, then your life is going to shine an uncomfortable light on a lot of people. And they are not going to like that light. No matter how kind and and compassionate you may be. So again, what do we do? Well, do we back off of righteousness and say, well, well, if we want to to keep the peace, then then maybe we're we're not that serious about righteousness. Or we just kind of you know, hide this aspect of God's will? No. We need to continue to live righteous lives because God's blessing is worth infinitely more than the world's approval. So, so pursue righteousness. And, and then the second reason he gives for persecution is, is in verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And so he ends there by saying, For my sake. Now, now that phrase in this context is mostly just synonymous with righteousness. But it really also personalizes that pursuit. It's not just that a Christian is trying to be righteous in order to make himself a better person. You know, that, that I want to, to, to better myself, so I want to be righteous. No, ultimately, we, we pursue righteousness for the sake of his name, for, for his glory and honor. So, so, so Jesus says here that, that that will bring persecution. And, and, and he says here that, that when we pursue Christ, we are willing to follow him at great personal cost. You know, in Jesus' day, not long after, after this time, it, it became apparent that, that just being faithful to Christ and, and claiming him as the Messiah and, and, and preaching his word was going to become very costly for the apostles. You know, for us, uh, being faithful to righteousness might mean that, that we refuse to affirm the things that our culture is pressuring us to, to believe about sexual perversities. And, and, and we are called to, to be faithful to His Word. But regardless of what may be the cause of that persecution, regardless of the cause, we must continue to be faithful to Him and understand that God's favor rests on the person who boldly stands for Christ, for my sake. So, so keep your finger here, and, and I think it's helpful at this point to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want us to read kind of an extended passage uh, because uh, Peter here, for one, is speaking to a group of people who are themselves being persecuted very seriously for their faith. Uh, but as well, there are, there are multiple instances in this passage where, where he pretty clearly Uh, references Jesus' words in our text. We're going to read a little bit longer section of Scripture. 
First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And Peter says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then jump over to chapter 4 and verse 12. Peter says, Again, to his readers who are being persecuted. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And we especially hear Jesus' voice in in those two passages when he pronounces a blessing in chapter 3, verse 14 on, on those who suffer for righteousness' sake. And again, in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, blessed are those who are reproached for the name of Christ. I mean, that language is almost exactly from our text. And those phrases are important as well because Peter says very clearly that there is no glory in suffering for evil. No, he warns in chapter 4, verse 16, that you better make sure that if you suffer, you suffer as a Christian. For, for the sake of righteousness. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that you know, those people that, well, the few things dishonor the name, name of the Lord more than, than when people you know, run around and, you know, and act like idiots and then they boast about being persecuted. You know, I'm suffering for Jesus. When in reality, uh, they're just acting like loudmouth morons. You know, and, and so I think it's, under, it's important to understand now, the fact that people are angry at you does not mean that you're serving Jesus. You need to make sure that, that you suffer for the right reasons, that you pick your causes and your stands very carefully. And on the contrary, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 13 encourages us to live godly lives in hope that rational people will see our sincerity and, and respect it. I mean, he says you, you, should, you should pursue righteousness You should live a life that pleases the Lord and hope that others are going to see you love Christ, you're sincere in your convictions, and and give you a pass. 
as well. First Timothy 2, verse 2 says that our aim should be to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So there's no place for Christians to be obnoxious rebel-rousers who invite unnecessary attacks. You know, it shouldn't be like the people that show up at all these various events with the goal of getting arrested and the goal of, of making a scene. That, that's never what we are about as Christians. But even if we don't go looking for a fight, the Scriptures are clear. Peter is clear that ungodly people will often bring the fight to us. And Peter acknowledges that that's very hard. But the pain is worth the cost because you are blessed. He says, blessed are you. And it's not just that that we are blessed of God, uh, but but chapter 3, verse 18 says that we enjoy a unique union with Jesus. You know, again, chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So, so when I suffer for Christ, I, I enjoy a special fellowship and union with my Savior that, that, that cannot be mimicked in any other way. And we'll come back to that idea later on. Uh, but, but, but I want to next talk about the cost of persecution. So so the verb, returning to Matthew chapter 5, that that pops up in in both verses 10 and 11, is that verb persecute. Now now this verb, uh, persecute, in the most basic sense, uh, it's a general term that means to pursue something aggressively. And and you can pursue something whether for good purposes or for bad. It just means to pursue. But throughout the New Testament, it is mostly used for persecution. And so that pursuit in mind is an aggressive pursuit of people who are based on their religious convictions for the purpose of doing them harm. And that persecution can come in a variety of ways. It can be anything from slander and gossip to physical beatings and pain to imprisonment and even to death. The apostles saw the worst end of that very early on in their ministry as they were beaten for preaching the gospel, and the apostle James was killed with a sword not long after the church was established. Of course, Herod wanted to kill Peter too, except for the fact that God saved him. Now, now Peter's audience, think of the passage we looked at a moment ago, they probably weren't facing death. We, we tend to think persecution equated only with death. That's not what they were facing, and probably what, what was going on for them is that they, for them to be faithful to Christ... They couldn't participate in the pagan worship that was central to all of life in in Gentile communities of that day. And if you refused to participate in pagan worship, it meant that you probably were alienated from family, alienated from from trade guilds. And so it would be very difficult for many people to to find the work that they needed to to survive without those those family connections and, and those trade guild connections. So refusing to bow the knee to a God might mean that you lost your job, that you couldn't feed your family or, or, or provide a home for them. And uh, as well, you imagine Christian wives and slaves. If you've got an unbelieving harsh husband or an unbelieving harsh slave master and he says, bow to this idol because that's what we do in this household, and you have to refuse, 
Well, you can imagine the types of, of awful things that would be done to those Christian wives, those Christian slaves. It's heavy stuff. And notice as well that verse 11 mentions two other types of persecution. He mentions here that Christians are reviled. And as well, he says people say all kinds of evil against them falsely. Now, slander is, is very frustrating, isn't it? You ever been a victim where, where you are, are just doing what's right? You're trying to, to be faithful and, and be righteous. And, and someone just makes up lies. Slander. You know, imagine a Christian who is, excuse me, sincerely seeking to love the Lord, love his labor. He's not hurting anyone at all. He's just being faithful to Christ. But how often some angry jerk, in an, in an effort to justify himself or to make himself look good, makes up all sorts of, of false, wicked accusations. And those things hurt. You know, I mean, we can say all we want that sticks and stones don't break my bones, or sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They do. And oftentimes those accusations create other consequences. And Christians are alienated from family and friends. Even in our day, they can lose work and miss out on promotions. And the end result is, is that we are not respected. We, we, we are not running with the high and mighty like we think that we deserve. Oh, instead, we are despised, we are rejected, we are weak in the eyes of society. Now, now, now we have to preface all this by saying that, that we live in a very unique, unique society. You think of all the societies in the history of humanity and, and throughout the history of the church, throughout the course of the entire world, we live in a very unique society that has long embraced an unusual amount of, of Christian theology and worldview. And because of that, Christians in our nation have enjoyed a unique place in society that is very rare throughout church history. And, and so because of that, it's really hard for us to, to wrap our minds around being, you know, as Paul says, the scum of the earth, about being despised and rejected of men because of our faith. But the New Testament everywhere warns that, that Christianity does not mostly lead to respect and glory. It leads to persecution. Now again, we, we read earlier in 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And Jesus warned in John 15, verses 18 through 19, just, just hours before he was arrested and crucified. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so as much as we don't want persecution, it shouldn't surprise us. We are, as Jesus says, aliens in this world. We do not fit in. And the world is not going to love people that do not belong to it. It will hate us as it hated our Savior. And, and you know, as, as hard as that reality is, we'll actually be a whole lot more content. And we will be a whole lot more effective in serving our Savior if we simply embrace the expectation. 
that if I am properly serving Christ, I will not fit in in this age. And in fact, the world will reject me and it will hate me. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story, right? Because notice the reward that Jesus promises. And I see three rewards in this passage that we're looking at today. And so the first reward that he promises is camaraderie with the saints. So so notice how he ends verse 12. He says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, Jesus mentions this because most of the time, when you are enduring persecution, it feels very lonely, right? And it feels like you're on the losing team. If you're sitting in a jail cell, like, like, like Pastor Stevens was on Sunday night and Monday night, you feel very lonely. You, you feel like you are losing. And you might begin to wonder, am I making a bad choice? Am I going to regret this? Am I on the losing side? And we already saw in John 15 that we can take comfort in our camaraderie with Jesus. That when the world hates me for my faith, it doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. It instead means I'm doing something right. Because because that's how they treated Jesus. And I think I should add too here that Philippians 3 verse 10 says that when we share in the fellowship of His sufferings, we come to know Christ in a way that we cannot know Him otherwise. You realize that? You will never know Jesus to the full extent of how He wants you to know Him until you participate in His suffering. That's the idea there. And here in our text, earlier in Jesus' ministry, He's looking out, of course, to an Israelite audience that was very familiar with the Old Testament. And He says to them that they can find similar comfort by identifying with the Old Testament prophets. And every Jew would have understood that that many of the greatest prophets in Israel's history were not revered, they were hated. You think of how Ahab and Jezebel hated Elijah, and they wanted him dead. You think of Isaiah, Isaiah preached faithfully for years, and, and, and people rejected him and hated him, and Jewish tradition says that ultimately what happened is they, they put Isaiah inside a hollowed out log. And then they sawed that log in two. Think about a miserable way to die. Or Jeremiah, one of the other great prophets of Scripture. The people of Jerusalem hated him because he preached that that Jerusalem was about to fall, that God had called the Babylonians to come in in judgment. And so some of the leaders of of, of Jerusalem, they they, they captured him and, and they put him down at the bottom of this muddy disgusting, probably vile cistern. And they left him in the bottom of that cistern to die. Thankfully, he was, a, he was ultimately rescued by the king. But, but it's difficult stuff. It's horrible stuff. And, and again, keep your finger here and, and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Because the author of Hebrews does a, a, a wonderful job of, of speaking of some of these prophets and other Heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, this is the the hall of faith, as we oftentimes call it, a hall that celebrates uh, some of the godly people of the Old Testament. And I want to pick up in, in verse 35, really right in the middle of the verse. The author of Hebrews says, Others were tortured 
not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. or They, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You know, I mean, the author of Hebrews is clear that, that, that not all, now, now he does mention that some of the prophets had some, some tremendous things happen in, in the previous verses, but he mentions that, that many of them did not enjoy the high life, so to speak. They were beaten, they were, they were tortured, they, they suffered great humiliation. And yet, isn't it incredible that there in verse 38, the author of Hebrews says, of whom the world was not worthy. I mean, what a statement that he makes there. The world was not worthy of them. And Jesus says that we stand in their train. We can also be people of whom the world was not worthy when we suffer with grace for Jesus. And oh, that it would be said of us, you know, not that we had a cute little church and that people in town you know, fawned over us because of all the good things that we did. But oh, that it would be said of Jesus that the world was not worthy of those people because of their faithfulness to me. We, we want to be that kind of people. People who are courageous for Christ, lovers of His purpose, people who live for another world Another city whose builder and maker is God. So, so we have camaraderie with the saints as we suffer this way. The second reward uh, that, that Jesus mentions is the kingdom of heaven. So, so verse 10, uh, returning to Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now we've talked the last two weeks about the fact that, that this promise of the kingdom of heaven is the promise in the first beatitude in verse 3, and it is also the promise in the last beatitude in verse 10. And we've also, so, so it's the central reward of all eight. And really, all eight of them turn on the axis of the kingdom of heaven. We've also said that the kingdom is primarily focused on the millennial kingdom, that, that Christ will establish when he returns to the earth. He will set up his kingdom. And Jesus says to the persecuted, You may be persecuted in this world. But when I set up my kingdom, you will rule and reign alongside me. Now, now the Gospels also teach that, that membership in the kingdom uh, provides certain blessings today. And, and we've seen those uh, in the other Beatitudes in verses 4 through 9. But Jesus here is primarily promising the persecuted a place of glory in the kingdom. Now, we may be despised and rejected in this world. The world may think that we are awful people for being faithful to this book. But we have a place in the kingdom. And we will reign with Him as we are faithful to Him. And then the third blessing He promises is great rewards in heaven. So He says uh, there in verse 12, He says to the persecuted, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, now, we would all love it if Jesus would expand on that some more, right? And, and tell us a little more what that's going to be and, and what it's going to look like. 
Unfortunately for us, the Scriptures don't tell us a lot other than to say that Christ will more than make up for every sacrifice that we make. We will not be disappointed. And the Apostle Paul, who himself endured a lot of persecution, a lot of suffering for the, for the sake of Christ's name, gives us some helpful perspective when he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, he says, for our light affliction. You know, and that, that phrase has always just jumped off the page to me. If you were in Paul's shoes, and you think about everything that Paul went through, would you think your affliction is light? I mean, we stub our toe. And we think that Satan is, is destroying our lives. But here's Paul who's been beaten, imprisoned, suffered shipwreck. I guess he hasn't suffered, suffered, well, I don't know if he suffered shipwreck. He hasn't suffered the last one yet at this point. But he's gone through all sorts of horrible things. And he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now again, we don't, we don't typically look at our afflictions as light. We think they're the end of the world. But when you have a clear vision of eternity as Paul did, you really understand that they're not that significant. In the grand scheme of eternity... Losing a job is not a big deal. Going to prison is not a big deal. I mean, whatever, death is not a big deal. Now, now that doesn't mean that, that we just enjoy it and, you know, we're jumping up and down excited. You know, I imagine, I mean, for, for Pastor Stevens last Sunday to, you know, to, to have his, his wife and his six children walk, watch him handcuffed and taken away, it had to be an awful thing, a scary thing. You know, and you hear stories about believers in China and throughout uh, the Muslim world and, and the things that they endure, the, the suffering that, that they face, it, it's incredible. That's not fun. It's, it's hard. But, but, but Paul reminds us that even the worst persecution is temporary. And he says to us that God has a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory awaiting the persecuted in heaven. So you will never outgive God. Now, God may not give you all sorts of, in fact, very likely, He will not give you all sorts of things in this life. He's not talking here about prosperity teaching, but His reward in heaven will be worth every cost and it will last forever. So, so the challenge for us is to embrace the vision of Paul, to see the eternal reward. And as the old song says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So therefore, notice finally the response to persecution. And Jesus urges us in verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, in this, this verse, uh, uh, Jesus uses two uh, continuous present imperatives. So, so the idea then is, is, is really, you could say, be always rejoicing, be always exceedingly glad. He's not just saying, you know, you're, you're in this miserable persecution, i got to be happy. 
Now I'm going to go back to being angry. No, he's talking about a continuous joy. And yes, again, persecution is never pleasant. You know, so Jesus is not calling us here to, to give high fives and chest bumps like we just won the Super Bowl. But when Christ calls us to suffer, knowing that we can take it by His grace, we should have joy. I'm reminded of, of the apostles' response the first time they were beaten for preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. That's an incredible response, isn't it? Now these men, um, we don't know exactly how long it had been at this point, but, but not very long earlier, not very, uh, yeah, much time prior, they had watched their Savior, whom they loved, die for their sins on the cross. They had seen the, the wounds in His hands, His feet, His side. And now, here they are, nursing what, what had to be some very painful wounds on their back from being beaten. They are miserably, miserable physically speaking. But as they're nursing these wounds, they solemnly rejoiced that Jesus counted us worthy to suffer for Him. The Savior that they loved, they were grateful for the privilege of suffering for Him. And may God give us that same love for the Savior that, that we are glad to glorify Him at any cost. That, that same longing to, to, to be near to Him and to share in, in, in the fellowship of His suffering. And that same passion to make His glory known at any cost. And, and not only that though, Jesus encourages us that, that we can have joy, that, that we can rejoice and, and be exceedingly glad at the fact that, that, that we have a great reward Awaiting us. So, so the challenge for us is to see that reward. To, to anticipate the joy of eternity with Christ. And then to rejoice through all the pain and through all the hardship. You know, folks, that's really good perspective. Really good perspective as we watch our culture change. And as we wonder, what does the future hold for us? What's the future hold for our children? Maybe even more important. And Jesus says to us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And do not back down. We are surrounded by lost souls that, that need Christ. And, and Jesus told us that the fields are white for harvest. We are not on the losing side. We are on the winning side. And, and you know, God has placed us in a very strategic position, I would say, in our nation and in our nation's history. To make a bold and influential stand for the gospel and for the sake of righteousness. We are in an awesome position to be. The gospel opportunities are everywhere. People are hurting and they know they're lost in a way that they haven't known since the beginning of our nation. We've got opportunities all around us. And so we shouldn't bemoan the fact that we're alive when we are. We shouldn't wish that we could go back a hundred years or something. We should embrace the time we are in as, as a wonderful opportunity to serve Christ and to be witnesses for Him. And, and by the way, if you are in Christ, 
you can stand. You can stand. Because God promises us that He will never give us more than we can bear. He will never put a temptation before His people in which they cannot stand faithfully for His purpose. He always gives grace to do what He has called us to do. So don't be afraid. Grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ every day. Pursue righteousness. Learn to think like someone who is not at home in this world, but someone who is a pilgrim. And develop courage by consistently standing for the truth, speaking the gospel, being faithful to God's will. And when people mock you, when people turn their back on you, rejoice that I am sharing in this fellowship of Christ's suffering that I can know Him in a way that I never knew Him before. And then just keep going. So folks, the world may see you as weak, insignificant, and even as evil. But Jesus looks at those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake with great honor. And His approval and His reward, they're worth it all. So do not fear persecution. No, instead, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today for the words of Christ, and we thank you for his call. And God, I pray that all of us would be found faithful, that Lord, we would embrace the times in which you've called us to live. And God, I pray that that we would stand faithfully for Christ no matter the cost. And that we would be used of you to glorify your name by, by declaring in our lives and in our words that Jesus is worthy. And so God, give us grace for whatever it is that you have for us in the future. And we pray that we would be found faithful. In Christ's name, amen.